farmer like Boaz would know that the first crop of the spring is the humble barley, but that is a sign that crops are growing, a sign of the wonderful wheat that is yet to come. Boaz is saying that he hopes that from the simple matter of their meeting in the midst of the field, over the gleaning of barley sheaves, something truly wonderful will develop in the future. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 256, Pusa, Rembrandt, and Ruth. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. A large room in the Louvre is known as the Richelieu Wing, named after Cardinal Richelieu, one of the most powerful people in France in the 17th century, and a great lover of the arts. The Richelieu Wing is in part dedicated to the work of the most famous French artist among the old masters, Nicolas Poussin. Poussin painted many scenes from the Hebrew Bible, but he did it with his particular penchant for Greek classicism. That is why if you walk into a museum and you see a work that is not a portrait of a person, but of a scene, a biblical scene marked by order, by clarity and balance, odds are, as we may have mentioned before, that it was painted by the French master Nicolas Poussin. It will not have the roughness of a Rembrandt, the exuberance of a Rubens, the violent visuals of a Caravaggio. This is true of almost every Poussin painting, and he painted some of the most important moments in the Bible. He has given us a version, as we have previously seen, of Eliezer and Rebekah at the well. He has also painted the judgment of Solomon, the falling of the manna, Moses striking the rock, and more. In Apusa, every detail is perfectly and painstakingly planned. The individuals all stand perpetually poised, looking like classical statues. The aesthetic is Greek. Perfection, order, balance. This can be seen in another one of Pusin's paintings, in the Richelieu Wing, one that is about our central subject. Toward the end of his career, Pusa created a series of four paintings paralleling the four seasons, choosing a biblical scene for each season. For summer, Poussin gave us Ruth and Boaz in the field. The Louvre website reports, quote, Summer is part of a series of four canvases representing the seasons painted by Poussin between 1660 and 1664 for Armand Jean, Duke of Richelieu. In 1665, the Duke lost 25 paintings from his collection in a game of real tennis against the king. Thirteen of them were by Poussin. The seasons thus joined the royal collections at Versailles and subsequently the national collections in the Louvre. Each season is associated with a biblical scene from the Old Testament and shows a particular time of day. Spring links the rebirth of nature to Adam and Eve in a morning landscape. Summer is characterized by the harvest and presents the story of Ruth and Boaz with the sun at its zenith. Autumn is evoked by the wine harvest and a late afternoon light showing grapes from Canaan. And finally, winter sets the scene of the flood in a crepuscular light, end quote. Thus, Pusa gives us his own version of Ruth and Boaz in the summer, creating a painting of exquisite poise and order. When we look at the canvas, the individual human beings do not seem to have unique personalities. They are like small statues that make up a balanced scene. It is an agricultural image of great beauty, and it shows us summer. There is only one problem with this painting, and that is that I believe it fundamentally misunderstands the scene in Ruth. Because the meeting of Ruth and Boaz unfolds not in the summer, but earlier. And therefore, Poussin, I think, misses something significant about the symbolism of this scene in the Book of Ruth itself. Poussin was painting in Europe, where, like America, planting takes place in the spring, and the harvest is in the summer. But the story of Ruth in the field does not take place in the summer, but rather in the spring. In the Holy Land, especially in the biblical era, Planting took place in the winter, during the rain. Then, as spring comes, barley is the first crop to ripen at the beginning of spring, which is why the spring offering in the Bible is the omer, in which sheaves of barley are harvested 
and brought. That is why we mark Pesach with the Omer offering. The Talmud tends to refer to barley, by and large, not as sophisticated food, but as animal feed. The main source of sustenance came from a crop that would ripen later, wheat. It is this season that the biblical book clearly desires us to envision in our minds when it tells us in the conclusion of the first chapter. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. Commenting on this verse, Rashi writes that Biktsirat HaOmer HaKatuv Midaber, the verse speaks of the time of the Omer, the barley grain offering of the second day of Passover. It is with this in mind that we can explain what follows in the story. Usually the barley would not have been eaten by individuals, but because there had been a famine, the Israelites had no choice. Thus, in springtime, when only barley was available, Ruth picked a random field on which to glean, and there she met Boaz. Barley, then, was the beginning of their relationship, and Boaz seems to understand this. Sent by Naomi, Ruth goes to Boaz in chapter 3 in the middle of the night as he sleeps in the silo, and she wakes him up and asks him to marry her, to serve as the kinsman that was called in that society the Goel, the Redeemer, as we discussed yesterday. Boaz replies that he would feel privileged to marry Ruth, but first he has to await a closer relative of Naomi's dead husband to refuse to marry Ruth. Only then could he, Boaz, marry Ruth. Also he said, Bring the veil that thou hast upon thee and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her. And then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Who art thou, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, These six measures of barley gave he me, for he said to me, Go not empty unto thy mother-in-law. Whether Boaz actually gives Ruth six measures of barley, or as a more simple translation could render it, six barleys, is not quite clear. And either way, it seems superficially to be a somewhat strange gift. Barley, at this moment, in the night in the field, does not, on the face of it, bespeak romance and love. But I believe that a simple knowledge of Israelite agriculture makes the significance of this gift and the love expressed therein quite clear. A farmer like Boaz would know that the first crop of the spring is the humble barley, but that is a sign that crops are growing, a sign of the wonderful wheat that is yet to come. Boaz is saying that he hopes that from the simple matter of their meeting in the midst of the field, over the gleaning of barley sheaves, something truly wonderful will develop in the future. Pusa got his seasons wrong. Ruth did not arrive in the summer, but rather in the spring. And Boaz is telling Ruth that he is looking forward to what he hopes will be a glorious summer in their lives together that is yet to come. In the end, the closer kinsman refuses to marry Ruth, and the union of Boaz and Ruth produces a child. So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. And the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a goel, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life, and a nourisher of thine old age, for thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became a nurse unto it. And the women, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Oved. He is the father of Yishai, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Peretz. Peretz begat Chetzron, and Chetzron begat Ram, and Ram begat Aminadav, and Aminadav begat Nachshon, and Nachshon begat Salmon, and Salmon begat Boaz, and Boaz begat Oved, and Oved begat Yishai, and Yishai begat David. Thus we are told at the end that this is the origin of the Davidic dynasty. Literarily, 
The fact that the story unfolds in spring and not summer is important. There is symbolism here. Just as spring begins with only barley, a crop that is usually seen as insignificant, but that ultimately leads to summer, so too the simple meeting between a woman born in Moab and an Israelite farmer, a meeting that takes place over barley, leads ultimately to a romance, a marriage, and the ancestry of the Davidic dynasty and the Messiah that is yet to come. And the larger point is that Jewish history is not a painting by Pusa. It is not marked by order and balance. It is wild and unexpected twists and turns. That is what makes it so surprising. But it is these surprises that are signs of providence in our history and in our lives and a source of faith for us. There is, of course, another artist whose canvases and biblical scenes are not marked by perfect order, but rather by the unexpected. And that, of course, is Rembrandt. And though Rembrandt left a sketch of a scene from the Book of Ruth, there seems to be no masterpieces from the artist relating to Ruth's story. Or is there? Several years ago, the Guardian newspaper reported how a painting of an elderly gentleman, which had been seen as a depiction of a Jew, had suddenly been identified as one of Rembrandt's works. Quote, Left high on a library wall for more than half a century, the portrait of a roomy-eyed old man initially seemed no different from the misattributed old masters hanging beside it. But after more than half a century of being overlooked, it has been authenticated as a genuine and outstanding work by Rembrandt. And the identification by the world's leading expert on the 17th century Dutch master will make a multi-million pound difference to its price tag. The painting, known as The Old Rabbi, has rarely been seen by the public since it was last exhibited in 1950. Since then, it has hung in the private apartments of the Duke of Bedford at Woburn Abbey in Bedfordshire, central England. Although there is no suggestion it will now head for the auction rooms, the price difference between a genuine Rembrandt and even the best work by his studio is in the order of millions, end quote. And we are further informed in the article that while the painting was originally assumed to be a Rembrandt, it was then deemed to not be by his hand before it was reattributed to Rembrandt. And until that point, it was grouped with other paintings defined by what they were not, including, according to the article, quote, a not Van Dyck, a not Hogarth, and two others not by Rembrandt, end quote. Now, it has apparently been established again that the painting is a Rembrandt, thanks to the late Rembrandt expert Ernst van de Wettering. We are further informed that van de Wettering noted that in the Gemelde Gallery in Berlin, there is another Rembrandt, depicting not an elderly gentleman, but a young woman, and that he believed that perhaps the two paintings were meant to be displayed together. Quote, Van de Vettering, who spent a long day at Woburn poring over the panel, now believes the two pictures are a pair, linked by details of costume, pose, and jewelry, particularly the rings on their beautifully contrasted hands. The young woman's smooth flesh is markedly different from the tissue paper-like crinkles of the old man's skin. He believes the pictures represent the biblical story of the exiled Ruth, who married the kindly but much older Boaz. Both appear to be painted on mahogany panels from the same packing case, which originally held sugar from the West Indies. End quote. We are told that Van de Vettering expressed his hope that these two paintings, Ruth and Boaz, would be united again. This, of course, would be appropriate, as the twists and turns involved in the story of these Rembrandt paintings parallel the twists and turns in the unexpected events that brought Ruth and Boaz together in the biblical story. And therefore, these twists and turns embody one of the larger lessons to be found in the book of Ruth itself. To truly read Ruth is, no pun intended, to be inspired to look at the larger picture, to realize that Jewish history is not a placid tale, but a fascinating work of art with twists and turns created by the divine artist himself. Thus, as we read the book of Ruth, 
as we study the sublime story, we think of the twists and turns in Jewish history, and we ponder what other extraordinary events are yet to come. This is Mayor Salavechik, looking forward to learning together tomorrow, signing off.